Miss the show, no worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. With the two Michaels kidnapped and torturing of millions of Uyghur Muslims, why should Canada be a part of the 2022 Beijing Games? We will talk about that. Why can't we get vaccines made here? We'll talk to the professor who warned they wouldn't be coming way back in August. But why are we constantly seeing these delays? And what is essential when it comes to workers? We'll talk about a group of Canadian businesses that are saying to hell with these shutdowns. We are opening up. Let's get talking. Your point. You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to your answer, the point you understand. There is a point. A point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. See that we're taking vaccines from a, a, a multi-country fund that was intended to help poorer countries is an example of no plan. It's hard for me to divorce the inaction of the government over the last ten months with what I would do today. We would not be in this position today because last year I was asking for independence on everything from PPE to vaccine manufacturing. Justin Trudeau's taken from the poor to pay for his vaccine incompetence. My hope is that maybe, maybe now, just maybe Trudeau loyalists will take the blinders off and admit that Trudeau does not actually walk on water. In fact, um, his failure to deliver vaccines has him sinking very fast. You know, up until... Now, he's gotten away with endless scandals, scandals that no other leader would get away with. But his failure on vaccines, you know, the ones he boasted arrived early in December, it actually might wake up folks to the fact that he's a boob, a fake, a fraud, a big old failure. Because we don't have vaccines because he insisted on doing this deal with China. He insisted on doing a deal with the devil. And he and, of course, now we're getting burned. And if he didn't know the risks, then he is a stupid man. But I don't actually think he cared. I think he knew the risks and pushed for that failed deal anyway. And did so despite the fact that China was lying about COVID. You know, Michael's being kidnapped. He knows China screwed the world over. You know, they were secretly buying up the world's supply of PPE. His own government. Our government got burned by China in the spring. You might recall China refused to ship PPE, even though we sent them 16 tons, they were literally caught taking it off a flight destined to Canada as it was on the airstrip. I mean, we do not have vaccines because Trudeau took a risky bet and didn't bother to come up with a backup plan. And that's why he's now taken from the poor to cover his arse. And that's why he's getting a whole lot of heat from the opposition. The COVAX vaccines were a way the developed countries like Canada were helping poorer countries have access to vaccines. The very fact that Canada is the only G7 country asking the COVAX consortium for vaccines is is demonstration that we have no plan. And Canadians need vaccines to get the country working, to secure our future. And yet this is another indication that the Trudeau government has no plan. So COVAX... uh was set up by the WHO. This is to help poor nations get access to vaccines at the same time the rest of the world is getting them. So what it did was it asked wealthy countries like Canada to put money in a pot so they wouldn't be left behind. And Trudeau, of course, was front of the line, giving a $440 million and then made this grand announcement that it was our duty. You may recall he stood in front of his cottage and declared, quote, none of us is safe until all of us is safe, 
global solidarity is central to saving lives and protecting the economy. I don't have his dramatic flair, but you get my drift. But he said that. Of course, that was then, this is now. And now Trudeau can't get his big, fabulous vaccine portfolio delivered. And polling numbers are falling. So he's dipping into COVAX and taking 1.9 million doses of AstraZeneca for now. And of course, we don't even have that yet approved. And another 3.2 million by end of June. I mean, talk about a bad look. Talk about gross. We are a wealthy nation. We're led by a prime minister who never stops preaching about our global responsibility. And yet here he is taking vaccines from the very poorest people in the world. He tells us we're responsible for. And now we're taking their vaccines. And we are allowed to access it. It's not illegal. But a G7 nation shouldn't have to. I mean, it's really, really embarrassing. It's almost like, well, it is like, it's it's like going to a food bank and making a donation and then pulling up the next day in your Ferrari and taking back all the food you donated. You know, and that's why it's raising a lot of eyebrows around the world, like Doctors Without Borders. Well, look, the reality is like Canada and a number of other high-income countries are, are vaccinating their high-risk populations. But the, the reality is that those same high-risk people uh, in low- and middle-income countries do not have access to the vaccine today. So in, in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, uh, there, there are zero people who have uh, been vaccinated against COVID-19 with any of the vaccines that are, are becoming available and, and coming online in Canada and, and elsewhere. Um, and that's having, quite frankly, devastating consequences. Yeah, they'll get over it, I'm sure. Jeez. You know, this could all have been avoided. All it took was for Trudeau to come up with a plan B, just like the U.S. did, the U.K., the E.U., even India came up with a plan B. They poured billions into making and producing vaccines because they saw the warning signs back in the spring. We all did. We all saw that global fight over PPE. And at that time, they realized the same fight would be worse for vaccines. So they didn't rely on others. They certainly didn't rely on China. And that's why, you know, the planning ahead has them enjoying a steady supply of vaccines. You know, where was our prime minister? Well, he was sitting in his cottage chatting up the United Nations, trying to win that failed Security Council seat. And, of course, covering up the Wee scandal. Who's got time for a plan B when you've got to prorogue the House? The numbers are going to tell the true story on this. And when you look at them right now, they aren't pretty. Canada's dropped to 43, 43rd in the world for vaccine delivery. Romania is ahead of us. That says a lot. Israel's now got 60% of its country vaccinated. We've got 2.29, 2.29%. And when you want to look at some context like dosing, we administered 13,000 shots across Canada Wednesday. And by Valentine's Day, the UK will be vaccinating 800,000 people a day. It is now a numbers game for this prime minister, and if he doesn't come with a, with a vaccine miracle, his polling numbers deserve to be in the toilet. Stay with us here on Point, Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Our goal is to open up the economy safely. I know a couple of hot zones might be a, a week later, but especially in the northern rural areas, we want to get the economy open opening up, uh, but safely. That's a number one priority. That was Premier Ford on Wednesday, hinting that uh, maybe Monday, that might be the day that they announce the start of opening the economy. 
I sure hope so. But uh, but regardless of what has been announced, um, there are growing numbers of businesses that are now saying, you know, to hell with these restrictions. We're just going to do it. And, and it's hard to say you blame them. You know, businesses have been shut down for the last two months. And that, of course, is on top of the shutdowns of past springs. You know, gyms, salons, uh, restaurants, all of these businesses that everyone deems unessential. I had no idea jobs weren't essential to the economy. Silly me. But they've had it. I mean, they've done their part. They aren't causing spread. Now they're broke. They're losing everything. And so no matter what happens on Monday or what's announced, there are 250 businesses across Canada that now say they will open in defiance, I guess be damned the consequences, come February the 11th. Vladislav Sobolev is the founder of a group called We Are All Essential. He joins us now. Good to have you. Thank you, Paul, very much for inviting me and uh, mentioning the things that you did, meaning that the businesses they're actually not contributing to anything spread-wise, and they are definitely so-called at the end of the rope. Uh, and that's why we have actually now 400 businesses. In the last two days, we had a huge expansion and growth. So we have 400 businesses across Canada that are definitely ready to take the action and protect their own livelihoods and then the business that they established probably for generations before. I mean, it's hard to say when businesses might reopen totally. I mean, I don't know when the end of this lockdown is ever going to be because we were first told it was going to be a month and then a month became two months. And now it's a wait and see, take uh, it, you know, take each day, um, you know, by approach. What are businesses saying to you? Like, why did you start this? Yes. Well, I mean, as you just mentioned, the reality is this has been two weeks uh, that lasted for the last 10 months if you want to put everything together, right? And, uh, you know, myself, uh, you know, living for 21 years in Toronto, have personal experience both in hospitality industry and fitness wellness industry. Uh, so I know personally what those businesses, uh, you know, what it takes to open one and then uh, able to survive. You know, both uh, industries are not best in terms of uh, risk factors in the general uh, economy, right? And then when you have all these restrictions, they're pretty much, you know, surviving or barely hanging on, so to speak. Uh, so, yeah, for most of the businesses, they are definitely in a hard rock place, so to speak, that they, they, they damned if they do and they damned if they don't. So for, for most businesses, it's pretty much the last attempt to be able to survive uh, in this economy. Adamson Barbecue certainly got the most attention because he kind of stuck his thumb in the eye and made a very big uh, deal about opening and going public about this. Uh, on the 11th, are businesses going to make a note of, of opening to make sure that people know they're defying the lockdowns, or do they, do they plan to do this quietly so that they can kind of uh, stay under the radar? Yeah, so we give opportunity to our businesses to, to join our network, both privately and publicly. So it's actually up to the business to choose how they conduct themselves. In that, uh, in that way, uh, we definitely encourage business to, to promote their own opening because we tell them we have a huge army of customers that are eager, eager to go and support those businesses. So it's actually in the business interest to be public because then they're going to get tremendous amount of support. And the reality is, you, you brought up Adam's Barbecue as a great example, is that for a single restaurant, the city of Toronto literally had to bring the whole force, including, uh, you know, riot uh, horse squad try to disperse the people, which was completely uncalled and unjustified. But the reality is if we have, you know, tens or even 100 businesses in Toronto alone opening it up, there's no way the city will be able to crack down on everyone. And that's the whole point, to be united in, in defiance and non-compliance to unjustified orders from this government. Now, is the goal to actually get businesses open so they can make money, or is the goal to send a message and just take the fine even if you get it? 
No, I think for most businesses, they just want to go back to the normal life and operate. You know, a lot of those businesses are regular Canadians, law-abiding citizens. You know, they have young children, they have mortgages. This is not what we want to do. But like I said, when you put people in a position they have nothing to lose, people do, will, will do whatever it takes. And that's exactly what's going to take place on February 11th. And to the point is, you know, this is pretty much the last uh, uh, offer to Doug Ford, so to speak, to not extend the lockdown. And this is his last opportunity to save whatever career is left of his career, because otherwise we're going to define the orders anyway. So it's actually the best interest for Doug Ford, specifically in Ontario, not to extend the lockdown and just allow the businesses to conduct how they see fit. Nobody's forcing regular people to go to those businesses. If somebody doesn't feel safe, they can stay at home, they can wear the mask. You know, we're all adults, and we should be able to conduct our life how we see fit without endangering other public. And asymptomatic people who are actually called healthy people are not danger to anyone. What kind of business are you in, and how have you been affected by the lockdowns? So personally, uh, uh, I had a wellness studio in Toronto for four years. I did close it down, so all my business before COVID was online. Uh, So I personally actually was not affected as dramatically as all the other business owners uh, in the city and in the country altogether. So for me, I'm probably one of the least people being affected from the business perspective. There's a lot of other things that affected my life personally, uh, Mm COVID-wise, but I'm just like a regular person understanding the whole ramifications. I was born in Soviet Union, where all the dictatorship measures, tyrannical government was uh, implemented, and people have no freedoms, no private property. They were not able to do what they really wanted to do with their lives. And I see this standard is happening right now. And being a parent, I have you know a four-year-old son, uh, have a new baby on the way, so I want to make sure that this country actually remains free for the next generations to come. And that's why I'm doing it, and that's why all the business owners in our network are actually true activists and patriots for this country. And, you know, they're talking now third and fourth uh, waves and possible more shutdowns. I mean, this thing is not uh, going away anytime soon, and certainly because we don't have vaccines and they're not coming anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, the reality is if, if the government was really caring about public health uh, they would do other things except just telling people to wear the masks and social distancing and isolation. In fact, the, the health of Canadians is probably its worst it's ever been in the last 10 months. So it just goes to show you that all the resources and all the measures that the government is doing is actually uh, making Canadians sicker, not healthier. So they, they should all stop. And the point is the, the money should be spent on nutritional program, on wellness program, and prevention of suicide and drug overdose, those are true epidemics that we have in this country way before COVID. And for some reason, they no longer exist. It, it's really incredible to even think about that. The only uh, thing that we should be worrying right now is COVID when we have real life situations happening with all the Canadians. Yeah, there's no question. There's a huge collateral damage that seems to kind of take a back seat and, and should be just as uh, much in the forefront um, as COVID. Nonetheless, yeah. there will be people who say that you're being irresponsible and that you're, you know, you should be punished for breaking the rules. What do you say to them? I say that, you know, we should look at the real data. And real data actually is on our side. That, as you even mentioned yourself, the businesses that are forced to shut down don't even contribute to any transmission whatsoever. The big box stores actually have documented transmissions. However, they're not forced to be closed, right? And at the end of the day, if you look at the real data, uh, in the last year of 2020, we had the same amount of people dying overall from all the causes of death comparing to the previous five years in a row. So how possibly can we have an actual pandemic when you have the same amount of people dying in total 
And, and the average life expectancy of a Canadian is 82, and average age of a person dying with COVID is 86. Those are just the simple statistics shows to you that this was completely unjustified and way overblown uh, of, the, of the situation. And the government, unfortunately, spent unlimited resources on a fear propaganda and obviously used you know, a lot of uh, uh, mass media, unfortunately, to push this narrative, which is unfortunate. You know, when you're in a fear state, your immune system is actually suppressed and you get sicker just from general things anyway. What, uh, how far are you willing to take this? Uh, like I mentioned, we, we have to open our country, you know, so wherever it takes, the businesses will stay open and we're going to add more businesses. Our goal is to have a thousand businesses in our network by next Thursday, and we're definitely on that track to, to make that real. We will stay tuned and uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Stay healthy. That is, thank you, as you as well. That is Ladislav Sobolev. And the group is called We Are All Essentials. So you can look that up if you uh, want to get some information about that or if you uh, feel interested in joining the cause, but no question. Look, the businesses at this point, at the very, very least, the Ford government's got to give them a timeline. I mean, there's businesses that can't order merchandise for the spring. They can't, they can't plan ahead. And then they've got to. You've got to give them at least that. So you got to give them something if you're not going to open them, which by the, you know, at this point, they should be allowed to open. I say shut down those box stores and let the independents try to at least catch their breath, if that's even possible at this point. Stay here with us on point. Alex Pearson, this is Global News Radio. You know, it's not bad enough that we can't get vaccines or even a clear timeline for delivery, but uh, Procurement Minister Anita Anad admitted Wednesday during a committee that every vaccine maker Canada signed a deal with was asked, can we make them in Canada? And they all said a resounding, no thanks. When did Canada become such a loser? We used to be competitive. We used to be innovative. We used to be a leader. And now we're just this nation lagging behind. In fact, it's gotten so bad, we're lagging behind Estonia right now for vaccines. We're now begging for something we used to make ourselves and now taking vaccines from the poor, which is not a great look. John Robson is the executive director of Climate Change Nexus, also writes for the National Post. Good to have you, John. Good to be here, even on this topic. Well, it's hard to believe as a G7 nation, we're a wealthy nation, that we are in this much trouble already. It's uh, it's so bizarre that that you have to take a step back and just remind yourself how weird it is, because I think we're getting kind of used to this sort of mediocrity and we shouldn't we shouldn't accept it. When uh, when you asked me to come on the program, my my point of comparison is, you know, we started the Second World War in 1939 with six tanks and literally with soldiers Mm -hmm. on maneuvers shouting bang and pointing sticks at each other. And within six years, we had the uh, fourth largest army and the third largest navy in the world. And that is a time span of under six years. And here we are, more than a year into the vac- into the uh, pandemic, and we can't even say whether we're going to get vaccines or not. There was uh, Matt Gurney's column in the Post today saying, you know, it's even possible that the federal uh, vaccine strategy is working out, but there's no way to tell because they've become so good at telling us nothing. They've, and, and I think part of the problem is that the politicians don't understand that when you succeed in cutting the strings of accountability, it hurts you because when you start messing something up, there isn't anything to stop you other than your own humility, which, of course, is in very short supply here. And so no matter what happens, these people come out there with a hugely self-satisfied air and say, well, we asked every vaccine manufacturer if they could make it in Canada. 
And it doesn't occur to them that the fact that the answer from all of them was no is a problem. You know, the more we hear about evidence-based decision-making, the less of it we do. The more they tell us Canada is a good place to invest, the more we see that actual companies hate to invest here. And yet they, they just plow on. Like, again, the green economy. There's just no evidence that they can produce this thing. They're like, well, it doesn't matter if the energy sector dies. It doesn't matter if everybody's closing up their shops. It doesn't matter if unemployment's through the roof because we have this green economy out there somewhere, and we're the best, so it's bound to work. And then you see, you know, we can't get vaccines and we don't seem to have signed agreements. We're not sure if we have signed agreements and they won't send us the vaccine and we're promising to vaccinate and we can't do it. And it doesn't occur to them for one second, hey, wait a minute, what if we're fools? It's like, we're the best. Nobody understands. Nobody appreciates us. But it doesn't matter because we know we're the best. And here we're in a situation where Canadians can't get vaccinated. Yeah, but we have come to accept mediocrity. Like, we're good with it. We're good with not winning anymore, which is really sad because it wasn't always that way, certainly not in my lifetime. But I, time. But you may recall, I mean, the prime minister a few months ago kept saying, it's not about the starting line. It's about the finish line. Well, no, I mean, it is about the starting line. You actually have to be at that line to start, and we're not there. It helps be facing in the right direction. But again, you see, that, <laughs> that's classic because Trudeau found a smooth line that avoided him getting pinned down. And it was like, that's it. I'm I'm at the finish line, right? I got rid of the potential embarrassment of that press conference. And then he doesn't go inside and think, what a narrow escape that was. Man, we better get a plan. He's like, <laughs> I'm the best. And you just see the, the, the self-satisfaction. And that's not just him. You know, Doug Ford's got the same problem where, where they're just, they're, they're so happy being to be them as not us that, uh, it never occurs to them that maybe they're letting us down. And I agree with you. I mean, Canada used to be a place where there were certain standards. And we just decided to let it all hang out, including on quality. And and it's all hanging out now. It's just dangling hideously in front of us. And we can't seem to pull ourselves together. Like, when the issues are all completely trivial or made up, then you say, okay, fine, it doesn't matter that we're being incompetent. But then something real comes along, like a pandemic. And and you're looking at a government in Ottawa that doesn't seem to understand that printing money isn't the same thing as creating wealth. They think as long as they're sending us all checks, we've all got money. And if we've all got money, we've all got stuff. But if people aren't making the stuff, you've got a problem. And now the vaccines, like vaccines are real. You've either got the vaccine or you don't. There's something in that bottle or else there's nothing in the bottle. And in fact, come to think of it, there is no bottle. And we're in a situation where there's no bottle. And they're like, well, blah, 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 all be vaccinated by September or whatever fool thing that comes into their heads to say next. But if we put up with it, you know, we've got ourselves to blame. We ought to be saying, no, you're doing a terrible job. You're completely confused. What you told us a year ago is so different than what you're telling us today. Every time you tell us something, you look like the cat that just ate the canary. But you keep changing your story, and it's always wrong. Like, you have you have the capacity to tell us one thing one day and the opposite thing the next, and be wrong both times, which I admit, it can't be easy. But it's also not good enough. And I think, again... We, we just, Canadians have to stop, accept, it's like our healthcare system. We've got the best healthcare system in the world. Our healthcare system is lousy. It costs yeah. more than in almost any other advanced country, and it gives worse care. And it's like, well, you want the American system? And that's such a mind-bogglingly stupid reply because there's all kinds of countries like France or Sweden that have better healthcare systems than ours. They've got universal healthcare. It costs less. The waiting lists aren't the problem that they are here. And yet Canadians are like, we have the best healthcare system in the world. We're why, number why, 12. We why don't we say no? It's absolutely untrue. We don't, and we should have a better healthcare system. Politicians are always telling us, you deserve this and you deserve that, but they're not giving it to us, and, and they're playing us for fools.
Well, they are. I mean, hey, we had the dress rehearsal of SARS and they still are screwing this up. But, you know, now it's gotten so bad that we're taking we're taking from the poor. I mean, the prime minister stood outside of his cottage um, and he said, you know, none of us is safe until all of us is safe. And global solidarity is central to saving lives and protecting the economy. He was insistent that we had to be part of getting vaccines to the poorest of the poor. And now we're taking them. That's how bad it is. Without any sign of embarrassment. Again, it's just that same self-satisfied look. Like, whether he's telling you that he's giving vaccines to poor countries or that he's taking vaccines from poor countries, he has that, I'm the best, aren't you lucky that I'm here? Look on his face. I don't understand how these people get so conceited. And, uh, yeah, I mean, with the Minister of Health in Ontario, this was in the, the one-year anniversary, and they went back and said, when when the pandemic got here last January and, and so she said Ontario is prepared to track it and contain it you know it's like mm. oh yeah what did you do with the mask so we destroyed them like did she she didn't go and ask somebody are we ready and then come back and say well apparently we're ready she just said we're ready because we must be ready because we're us and we're the best and everyone's like we are ready for the pandemic nobody said really <laughs> where's the PPE like what do you know about anything madam do you like I don't know anything about epidemiology at all can you tell us how this might be like the Hong Kong flu? Um, you know, have you heard of the Black Death? Can you tell me what century that was? Instead, we're just like, oh, yay, we've got them in charge. And again, mm. if, if you do that, you, you get what you deserve. Joseph DeMaestre said every country gets the government it deserves, and it's the scariest yeah. statement ever made in political philosophy. Yeah, because it's true. I mean, now we know through the audits that there were no health experts in health. And that's why the person writing the talking point was probably a 24-year-old kid saying, well, this sounds good. That, that That's a good one, right? We'll, we'll do it that way. I mean, that's pretty much what's going on behind the scenes. That is yeah. indeed. Go ahead. If you if you walk into the meeting and say, but is it true? They're like, what? What is but that? It sounds word? good. <laughs> yeah. If you say it enough and repeat it enough, it'll become uh, the the truth, as Catherine McKenna once said. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just it's absolutely astounding. But it, but again, it, it, the first thing that happens, you know, when you've got a problem, is you've got to admit you have a problem. And so we yeah. have to say, look, our governments have messed up. They don't know what they're doing with these quarantines. And one of the things that's happening now, of course, is they have to keep locking us down because the alternative is to admit that locking us down wasn't a good idea. And it's too late for that, because that would mean that everything just about that they've done and all the damage they've done over the past year was witless. And they can't yeah. actually come out now and say, you know what, that air of certainty that we assumed was not based on anything. Sorry. Yeah, our bad. Yeah. You know, Mulligan. Yeah. Um, so, so they're 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 kind of they're they're stuck now. But we don't we don't have to put up with it. We're a self governing society, and the, the journalists can ask the tough questions, and we can punish politicians who don't answer them properly. Yeah, or they just hang up the phone on you because you can't actually get in front of their face. Nonetheless, John will live to see another failure of a day, and uh, we'll be happy with number 43. Appreciate your time. That was a cheerful thought. <laughs> <laughs> John Robson joining us, and of course, you can read his always interesting perspective in uh, the National Post. And with the two Michaels kidnapped and tortured for the past couple of years, the genocide of the Uyghur Muslims, the lies China has told us over COVID, their treatment of our canola farmers, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Seems like a no-brainer that Canada and all five I countries should be boycotting the Beijing Games in 2022. Yet the Trudeau government is going to be staying out of the decision-making, and they are going to leave it up to the Canadian Olympic Committee to decide, and they have decided, that of course we would send our Olympic athletes to the Games because it wouldn't be fair to the athletes. And okay, it wouldn't be. But then how is it fair to those being tortured by this regime, and what message does it send? Even worse... When you tell the athletes 
but they can't say anything negative about China? I mean, it sets a pretty raunchy tone going in. Let us bring in Professor Christian Luprecht, an expert on security and defense at the Royal Military College, also a senior fellow with MacDonald Laurier Institute. Good to have you. Hello. So I can think of about 50 reasons why we shouldn't uh, go to these games, principal being uh, probably the first. Um, but, you know, it, it must be pretty frightening for an athlete to be told, hey, you can't say anything about um, China that is negative. I mean, it's, it, it's not starting on a good foot. I mean, the athletes are probably expecting this, but of course it puts them in a very difficult position, right? So on the one hand, you spend, uh, I mean, in many cases, your entire life working up to go to this sort of competition. And at the same time, you're an ardent believer in your country, you represent your country, and so by definition, you also represent the political culture, the values, and the way of life of that country. And then you're being asked to go overseas to a country And all we want is your performance, but we're going to bracket what it is that you stand for in terms of Canada or other democracies and the values that you represent. And God forbid, don't actually talk about those values because we're really here just simply to um, to, to see your athletic skill. But uh, but ultimately, apparently, what you stand for when you wear that flag that's now uh, that's now no longer part of the record or no longer part and parcel of the discussion. And so I think it really calls into question also the. The, the 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 entire Olympic spirit, which is ultimately also to represent uh, the basic premises of the ways of life that we all embrace. Yeah, I mean, look, I you know I, I feel for the athletes. It's not it's not fair that they pay the price. I don't understand why Beijing was awarded the games again anyway. But having said that, you know, when you hear a guy like Dick Pound, who's generally the level headed one. Um, you know, with the IOC, when he says, you know, not going would, would be an embarrassment, uh, it would embarrass China and could be more dangerous. Uh, well, I think at some point we have to take a stand, and I think the Western nations have to take a stand of what we are going to allow and not allow China to get away with, which is apparently they get away with everything. Well, let's also remember that Dick Pound was part of an era within the Olympic spirit that really capitalized and commercialized the Olympics and that there's a lot of money at play here for the athletes, for the Canadian Olympic Committee in terms of the sponsorships that they bring in. So if athletes don't go, uh, this would have serious repercussions, not just for the athletes, but also for the, for the Canadian Olympic Committee. So I'm not surprised that he's coming out and he makes, he's making a heavy argument, not just as an athlete, but also as somebody who's closely wedded to the commercialization um, of the uh, of the Olympic spirit, and we have to ask ourselves here: How do we balance, on the one hand, the financial interests, especially in a country such as Canada that does not invest as heavily in sports as many of our other democratic sort of competitors, such as Australia, Germany, France, for instance? Uh, so, where we rely disproportionately on private sector sponsorships um, in order to uh, to be able to be competitive at the international at the international level. Yeah, I mean, and there have been boycotts before. The one, of course, uh, it would be Moscow. Um, do boycotts even work? So, I mean, these were sort of tit for tat moves, 1980, 1984. Of course, um, it sends a symbolic message. But I think the tragedy here is that, of course, we have a federal government that claims to have a values-based foreign policy that was touted big during the uh, during the initial election campaign in 2015, and uh, it continues to be a, a major sort of issue around, for instance, the promotion um, of values, for instance, uh, on 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 gender, on uh, on ethnicity, on 
on identity-related issues, on sexual diversity, and yet then we seem to then readily switch back to this realist mode of like, oh, we just won't talk about it when it comes to when it comes to mm-hmm. China. So we have to ask ourselves: Are we actually going to take a principal stand? Because otherwise, it's difficult to be taken seriously to have a values-based foreign policy agenda, but you obviously only applied in those countries and places where convenience and advances your political interests, but when it runs afoul of sort of your realist sort of interests uh, as a country and as a government, then all of a sudden you become very quiet around this. Um, it all seems to be just a little bit and just a, a little bit of a, of a contradiction to me. But there is a national security risk here, and that would be for journalists going over to cover it, uh, to any athlete who is uh, going over. I mean, these new national security laws that China has put in, I mean, if you're critical of that government, if you've gone on social media, if you're someone like me who is openly critical of China, you can be arrested uh, over there. So there, there is a risk. I mean, James LeBron uh, learned the hard way what happens when you speak out against China, but there could be real challenges of, like, going over there and, and not finding yourself like the Michaels. So... On the one hand, you have the serious risk, not just to the athletes, but also, as you say, to various Canadian representatives uh, and to the media who will be attending. On the other hand, there's also risk of, of course, being instrumentalized by the Chinese regime. And that's where we need to remember 1936 and the Olympics, uh, the Berlin Olympics uh, Mm -hmm. under the Third Reich. That really became sort of a a propaganda show and propaganda machine uh, for a regime that uh, at the time already uh, we should have seen Things coming, but of course that uh, then subsequently turned out, uh, you know, that even more horrific revelations about this regime. And given what we already know about China, um, you know, I think the news is probably not going to get any better on their human rights record um, or the way they bully uh, their internal minorities or other countries around the world. And so we have to also ask ourselves whether, uh, as journalists, as media, and as international representatives, to what extent people are prepared uh, to being instrumentalized by the Chinese regime to. Uh, to advance the agenda of a country uh, whose uh, values, um, uh, where, where we would say that certainly the regime represents values uh, and the way of looking at the world that is fundamentally an- antagonistic uh, and hostile to what we as Canadians believe in. And not to mention, I mean, um, they still haven't been punished for the lies about COVID. I mean, they intentionally lied about this uh, virus, and they intentionally lied to buy up the world's supply of PPE. They didn't care if the world suffered for it. I mean, they, they have to, at some point, be held to account. And, you know, going to the Olympics doesn't say anyone's holding anyone to account. And one of the conspiracies, of course, that they're spinning is that at the military games in Wuhan, that this was apparently somehow imported. So we know that they've capitalized on other international sports events precisely to then spin a narrative that is completely removed from any uh, dimension of of the truth um, and that then served to... Um, uh, 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 served to to put a to put a veil and to disguise what was actually happening inside the country, and so I think you know this sort of tops it off in terms of um, uh, how you know why would we um, why would we collaborate and play into the hands of a country that has previously uh, abused sporting events uh, to advance narratives that are patently untrue. Well, the debate is now underway, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this conversation takes us. Always appreciate your time, Christian. Thank you very much, Alex. Christian Leprecht joining us here tonight, and uh, my vote is a firm no. You, of course, can join us Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp here. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.